3: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mike Brazier. Today, we have a, an episode that is has a little special meaning to me because I was able to participate in the, the story in which it's about, at least partially, and, and it relates to introducing new people to hunting, a lot of times when we think about introducing new hunters, we're thinking about younger people, uh, our, our kids, our nieces, our nephews, or the, neighbor, the neighbor's friends, or folks that are in that younger age class. But that's not always the case. A lot of times we have opportunities to welcome and introduce people that are young adults or that are even in their adulthood into various types of hunting. That's what we'll be talking about today, and there's a unique spin on this particular introduction, and you'll just have to stay tuned to hear about this detail. Joining me for this episode, I'm delighted to welcome in Dr. Kevin Ringelman, the H. Dale Hall Ducks Unlimited Professor of Wetlands and Waterfowl Conservation and Associate Professor down at LSU. Kevin, welcome back. Good to be here, Mike. And also is Patty Rodriguez, a PhD candidate from LSU. Patty, it's great to have you on here with us.
2: Great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me.
3: So yeah, Kevin, we've had you on before. Uh, there was, I think, episodes 153 and 154, way a long time ago, talking about uh, one of the well, talking about the same thing that we'll be touching on here today. So I'll ask you to introduce yourself, but you know, kind of for the sake of time, do so briefly. I'll encourage folks to go back and listen to those other two episodes to get the the full recount of who you are. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure.
1: My name is Kevin Ringelman. Um, I teach wetlands and waterfowl here at LSU. Uh, I've been here for about eight years, and what we're going to be talking about today is one of my sort of supplemental duties, which is mentoring the LSU First Hunt program.
3: Thank you, Kevin. And Patty, introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us where you're from and what you're doing now.
2: So, my name's Patty. I am a PhD candidate now at uh, Louisiana State University in Dr. Phil Stouffer's lab. Um, I grew up in Florida, uh, but now I am studying afrotropical forest birds um, in Equatorial Guinea.
3: Yeah, so not ducks, right? That's another sort of (laughs) of unique aspect of this. We're talking to you, and we're not going to be talking about your research so much, but you are certainly, uh, I think, a self-professed bird nerd, if I remember correctly, right?
2: Yes, that is true.
3: I, think I can I, verify that. I think I even saw that tattooed on your fingers, right?
2: Yes. I just recently got bird nerd tattooed on my knuckles
3: so <laughs> for life. We, you and I were in the hunting blind together and I looked over and I could see, I forget which hand it was on, but I think whatever, whichever hand, it was the one that had nerd written out and I'm thinking to uh-huh. myself, I hope the other hand reads bird and sure enough, it did. So welcome to the club. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be part of the club now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, kind of, you, you said you grew up in Florida, and this this conversation here is about introducing people to hunting. Uh, you grew up in Florida. Did you have any prior exposure to hunting of any sorts?
2: No, actually, I didn't. So my family, my parents are both Brazilian, so I'm a first-generation American, um, and that's something that my parents uh, never participated in. Um, My dad likes to tell a story of when he was younger. his, His uncle took him hunting, uh, when he was little and he said that he cried the whole way after. So he never was into hunting and and neither was my mom. And growing up in Florida, I went to University of Florida. That's where I did my undergrad. So I definitely have been exposed to people who are hunters, but I just never really um, wanted to be involved in all honesty uh, growing up when I was younger. So yeah, not something I ever participated in. And so then what
3: was it that brought you that where does your interest in birds, bird conservation come from? We'll talk about kind of why you wanted to to take the course that, that Kevin is offering a little bit later on, but I, I'm kind of curious about your interest in birds and bird conservation, where that comes from.
2: Um, honestly, so... Uh... When I was an undergrad, I didn't get into birds until relatively later in life. I think it was my last year, uh, my senior year as an undergrad, we did an avian field techniques class uh, and we got to do some mist netting. And I got to like extract a bird and hold a bird for the first time in my life. And I was just like, wow, I didn't know that you could do this as a job. Like, I want to do this forever. I just want to hold birds. So I think. Working with birds is kind of a unique experience where you actually do get to have hands-on experience with with the organism that you're working with, and I think that's what attracts a lot of people to to birds in general. That they're so ubiquitous, and pretty much anyone can can be interested in birds because they're everywhere. Um, so that's kind of what got me started.
3: Yeah, and then
2: how did you end
3: up? Did
2: you have an interest
3: in working on birds kind of overseas in in a Uh, you know, foreign country or is that just kind of happened to be the lab that you, that you ended up in?
2: Yeah. So when I first got interested in birds, um, my first job out of college was working with small mammals actually. So I didn't get to uh, work with birds until my second year out of college. I worked with uh, blue winged and golden wind warblers. And then I just happened to have an opportunity to go volunteer uh, doing some bird banding in Peru. So that was kind of like my first tropical experience. And You know anyone who's been birding in the tropics? I feel like it's you know no turning back from there. So after that, I I just got really interested in tropical birds, um, and I had met uh, some of Dr. Stouffer's previous students uh, just from other jobs, and and that's how I kind of find out found out about his lab. Uh, And then he had a a fellowship uh, offering that I applied for, and I was lucky enough to get. So that's kind of how I got involved in in the tropical bird work.
3: That's cool. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's one of the things that I've, that I encourage people to do. Kevin, I'm sure you do as well. And Patty, I'm sure you will also is to certainly advocate for folks to get out and experience different places and different things. And that helps you learn so much about what, what, what your interests are. And it helps you also network and learn what those career paths are. So yeah, volunteering or getting a a, a paid technician position, whatever it you you can kind of to do there to find and expose yourself to different parts of this conservation community is always great. So appreciate that. Kevin, I, I will want to go to you now. We'll talk about the first hunt program. We're here to, that's going to be the main part of the discussion. We're going to use Patty's experience as a unique, uh, u- unique sort of vignette of that, but, uh, reintroduce us to how this, what it is, how it came about, how it's implemented. Uh, talk about that program a bit.
1: Sure. Happy to. So, Uh, The program that we have here at LSU uh, originated in 2008, so before I got here uh, with Dr. Frank Rower, who is now um, uh, president of Delta Waterfowl and uh, Larry Reynolds, who was the, uh, the state wildlife biologist. You've had him on this podcast before. And together, they sort of saw a need for this sort of experiential learning because we were graduating students in the wildlife major who had never experienced hunting before. And so, as future wildlife management professionals, their education is incomplete. I mean, if they're going to be interacting with hunters, then they need to understand the worldview of the that important stakeholder group. And so, at very much arose as you know, introduce students to the experience as part of their education. Um, if they go on to be, you know, lifelong hunters, that's great. If they do it once, that's great too. Um, so they started off hunting private land, or sorry, public land. Um, and Mike, as you know, a lot of the public areas in Louisiana are really difficult to access. Um, and you kind of need to be a veteran hunter to have a really um, a really good hunt out there. And so um, fast forward a few years, we started partnering with private duck clubs who would offer some of their basically member days, where only students would be allowed to hunt. And so we take advantage of their facilities, of their guides, of their boats, and things like that to really provide these students with, with a world-class hunting experience.
3: Kevin, that's really cool that you do that. Now, I will take a little bit of a uh, sidetrack here and just say that was one of the first things that I told Patty whenever we were in the blind together that day. We saw the lo- the marsh come alive, the birds start start moving around in such great number. I said, now, just want to be clear— not every morning that you duck hunt is going to be like this. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's kind of a it's a good bad thing, you know, you introduce someone and and it doesn't necessarily have, have to happen on these clubs for this to be the case, but yeah, if you if your first hunt is one of such spectacular bird numbers and spectacular success, um, it's important to realize and manage expectations going forward that they're not all like that. But Nevertheless, that's a valuable way and a valuable uh, thing to expose uh, first hunters to. I I think that's
1: a really important point that you make that, you know, by... By seeing the quality of some of these places, it also speaks to the passion that those individuals have for managing the habitat and managing the resource. Because it doesn't really matter how many ducks they're pulling out of there for harvest in a given season. They're providing habitat for way, way more than that. And so just demonstrating to students the passion that these hunters have for maintaining the resource, I think, is really important. Um, And Mike, you... I think you wanted a little bit more about the course. So we, we run this student hunting course as an optional experience. And typically we target seniors in the wildlife techniques class because they've come up through, through our uh, the rest of our curriculum learning about the value of, of hunters and sort of the North American model. Um, but they don't have a visceral appreciation for any of that. And so this is sort of a capstone experiential learning opportunity that that really encapsulates a lot of what our curriculum is about. And so in any given year, uh, we put through probably 30 or 40 student hunters, uh, which is the largest student hunting program anywhere in the country. So it's it's sort of a big logistical lift. Uh, but it's it's definitely worth it.
3: And then you said you target students in the wildlife techniques class, but it's not exclusive to those students, is it? No,
1: that's correct. And and Patty is a really good example. I mean, so she's a PhD student and is not taking senior level wildlife courses. But obviously, um, there's quite a bit of talk uh, in the hallways when this hunting program is going on. Um, And some of my graduate students have gone along as mentors and things like that. And so, yeah, uh, it was immediately apparent that
3: Patty had an interest in doing this. (laughs) That's pretty cool. And you also had, I think, if I remember correctly, a couple of folks. One was, what, a chemistry major or is it a physics major?
1: Yeah, this this year we had um, a physics PhD student from Tulane and her sister who is um, uh, outside of the wildlife field as well here at LSU. And they found out about the program just by talking to students who were in the wildlife major um, and sort of contacting us professors. And we're happy to take anybody who's interested in hunting.
3: And you... You walk the students through the, through the participants, through, uh, through hunter safety, gun safety, all of those crucial elements, right? What are the other kind of core components of the, of the program uh, before you get to those hunting experiences? Well, so they've had all of their their bird identification
1: courses earlier um, in the curriculum, along with, you know, wetland plants and wildlife habitat management. So they've got, they're really well grounded sort of academically for this experience. But from a practical perspective, yes. So I'm a certified hunter education instructor. We teach hunter safety in house. um, And then, you know, we complete that with shooting clays on the range. Uh, And then when we have time, uh, we like to give the students uh, more opportunity to handle firearms, like in a sporting clays course or something like that. We didn't quite get the scheduling right this year. Um, so that, that piece fell through. But in, in previous years, we've, we've been able to do that as well.
3: And you offer different types of hunts for the participants, for the students to go on, right? This, what we're going to talk about is a duck hunt, but that's not the only type of hunting that you offer uh, people to the opportunity to, right?
1: Correct. So we typically field uh, two or three early season teal hunts um, in late September. Uh, and then we will do some big duck hunts uh, here when the students get back from winter break. And then Dr. Collier, who's sort of my partner in crime on this, who teaches the wildlife techniques course, he bosses a lot of the deer hunts that we do. So we do some deer hunts on private lands and things like that. And this year, um, there's there's some indication that we'll be expanding into, into some turkey hunts as well. Oh, okay. So... This continues into the spring, is that right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So this will be the first time that we've spilled across both semesters. We usually try to get them all done in fall. But last year when we tried to do those those big duck hunts in November, we just weren't holding a lot of birds on the properties that we had access to. And so pushing it to January I think will make a big difference. Oh, I see.
3: Okay. And you give the students an opportunity to, to indicate which of the hunts, which type of hunt they want to participate in, right?
1: There's a lot of moving parts on these things, as you might imagine, with students and their schedules and exams, um, and then our schedules and when we can access these clubs. But generally speaking, we try to prioritize people who have never hunted before. Um, And yeah, they usually choose what they want to do. And as often as not, it's it's what fits with their schedule. Um, But, you know, we offer more waterfowl hunts than deer hunts just because of, you know, you can put Five people in a, in a duck blind, where deer hunting is sort of more of a one-on-one thing. So most of our students end up doing waterfowl hunts.
3: Yeah, and Patty, that was that's the case with you. Did you indicate an early preference for wanting to go on a duck hunt? Uh,
2: I yeah, I was only interested in in doing the duck hunt. I I don't think I'm ready to yeah hunt anything outside to take of a deer that yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: I think it's really cool what you're doing and there are a lot of other universities around the country that are doing similar things as part of this University Hunt program. Uh, I think Delta Waterfowl is a big sponsor of some of this and and I know they've that's one of the things that they that they do and they do a great job of it and it's kind of fun to see the, the maturation of that program and how many people that it it, it influences. And I know there are some other sponsors involved in, in your particular program. I'm going to give you an opportunity on the back end to kind of acknowledge all the people that are key players in this, but uh, you and this program is is one of many and, but this was the first time that I have had the opportunity to participate as, I guess you would say, one of the, the mentors uh, as, as part of this, the hunt that we went on. And that was a real special treat for me. I had been on youth hunts before where you're dealing with uh, 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds, but to have the opportunity to serve as a mentor to uh, someone who is into their adulthood who is in the field or is going into a career in bird conservation or avian science and and especially a person who had never hunted before like Patty was really cool for me to to be part of that i think i I I think I got out of it as much as Patty did. It was really, really rewarding for me, and I appreciated the opportunity to be there. And it just so happened that I was going to be at the same location where the hunt was going to occur, Uh, and that was at uh, Panola Conservancy in Shreveport, Louisiana. Paul Dixon it's a big Ducks Unlimited uh, supporter and volunteer. And, Kevin, I know Paul has been very generous in his time and offering his property to your hunt program as well, right? Yeah, he. Uh,
1: we've done hunts there for for three or four years now, um, and it's just an awesome experience. And he's been a big supporter of of me uh, in other ways as well. So we we take our classes up there in the spring and band green wing teal, and so we use his facilities for that too. And it's just he's he's a great guy.
3: The the other thing that we had going there, and uh, as part of this this particular outing, was a filming of an episode uh, for. DU Nation. It's a new platform that Ducks Unlimited is rolling out as a way to provide additional content to our to our members and viewers. It's on YouTube. It's DU Nation. You can actually find it on the DU channel of, of YouTube. And the, the title of that episode is First Time Duck Hunt in Louisiana. So, I encourage you to go uh, find that episode, watch it, and you'll see in that episode some of the things that we'll talk about here. Uh, and so, I think that's what we'll we're about to do is kind of get into the experience of the students uh, patty in particular but before we do that we'll take a break we'll come back and we'll hear all about patty's amazing experience and have her tell the story through her eyes so stay with us
0: folks and your dog are a team fuel is best in the field and in life with purina pro plan sport made for hard-working dogs of all ages every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina try it today and see why pro plan is the official dog food of ducks unlimited learn more at proplansport.com
3: Welcome back everyone. We're here resuming our conversation with Dr. Kevin Ringelman and Patty Rodriguez about a LSU's First Hunt program and this is where we move to Patty's experience. And at the outset Patty, I described your situation, situation, perspective as being a bit unique. And to kind of lay that out a little bit more, I was surprised, I guess if I'm being honest, when we were sitting around that first night before the the hunt the next morning and uh, Paul Dixon and his staff there had prepared, had had I guess roasted seemingly over an open fire a suckling pig that that had been <laughs> raised on his property there and I'm like holy cow what are we walking into here and I think you sat down maybe a couple of seats down from me and I heard you say oh this is the first time I've eaten meat in a long time I forget what how long you said but um, that got me, I, I asked you a question or somebody asked you a question, we learned that you're a vegetarian, but here you were eating, eating, <laughs> a eating, you know, pork and then, but you provided clarification on that and, and the circumstances or the, your perspective on vegetarianism. And so that, that's what, what I want to explore a little bit. How is it that a vegetarian such as yourself wanted to participate in this hunt program and wanted to, uh, yeah, Wanted to to go on a duck hunt. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. Well. So obviously, I'm not a super strict vegetarian. <laughs> um, I I think people are normally vegetarian for one of two reasons or both. Uh, one is um, you know animal rights and animal suffering, and the other is uh, it's the impact of eating meat on the environment. And for me, it's it's the impact on the environment that is really the biggest driver um, behind me being a vegetarian. So in my mind, I don't see a problem with eating meat that is harvested or farm-raised, eating meat that I I believe is is sustainably raised or sustainably harvested. Um, So, yeah, I thought that going on the duck hunt would be a great way for for me to eat some ducks. It kind of started off, um, like Kevin was saying earlier, it was immediately apparent (laughs) that I was interested in going on this duck hunt uh, because I... Was always like going through the 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 leftovers of the the ducks that the the students would kind of like take the breast meat and leave like the hearts and the livers and stuff uh, <laughs> and I would, was kind of like going through the trash at the end of the hunts and like picking picking some stuff off. So I've I've done that in the past as well. I worked um, in Ohio actually, uh, and I stayed at this duck hunting club and a lot of the the members who would go on hunts would do the same thing where they would just take the breast meat or they would you know leave some of the duck behind. So I've kind of had this habit over the past couple of years of like picking off duck leftovers. Um, and so that was just like a natural transition for me of like, well, let me just eat a whole duck. Then let me, let harvest, the, let me harvest the duck myself so I don't have to yeah. pick through the scraps, right? <laughs> exactly.
3: So, uh, no, that that's really cool. And so is this, you know, a lot of times we think about people... Adults getting into hunting for the first time for similar reasons. A lot of folks would have heard about sort of the locavore movement, people wanting to take more ownership of where their food comes from—a field to table movement. Is your perspective similar to that? Is it kind of fall into one of those into one of those
2: areas? Um, I guess uh, partially, yeah. I think I really appreciate those types of movements. Um, I wouldn't say that that's kind of my motivation behind going on the hunt. Honestly, um, from what I hear of of what it's like to go on a hunt, whether it's like hunting duck or deer or turkey, for me, the most appealing thing was like the overall experience. Like the thing I was most excited about was just go out there in the morning and see the ducks. And like during the sunrise, That, that was the thing I was most excited about. So I think for a lot of hunters, that's, that's probably the case as well. It's just like being out in nature and getting to experience um, experience that. That was the most exciting thing for me. So let's talk about that. We got up that morning, uh, Kevin
3: and Brett, you each went with a group of students to respective blinds. And then Patty and I were the, the only two in a smaller blind closer to the lodge. And I mean, it was like super convenient for us, I don't think I've ever arrived at a blind in a more convenient <laughs> fashion, where we got in one of the side by sides and we were taken right to it. Um, within like what three minutes of legal shooting hours, I'm like, this just doesn't <laughs> just doesn't feel right. You know, it's not what I'm accustomed to so we we get in the blind we sit there it was very cloudy so the sunrise that you were hoping for patty really really didn't materialize unfortunately at least from a, a picturesque standpoint the sun did rise although we couldn't <laughs> see it and and so talk about what you what you remember from that experience as we sat as we got settled, and the birds started moving, and I was enjoying your reaction, but so, but I want you to kind of recount that for us.
2: I mean, yeah, like you said, we kind of got driven up to to the blind, and it, we were really like, I, I had never been in a blind before, so I didn't know what to expect, but we were really just like in the marsh, like in a little box, basically a little rectangle that fit, <laughs> you know, maybe three or four people. Um, and then, yeah, as the sun was was kind of rising and the birds were starting to wake up, you know, you hear birds singing. And then we just started seeing ducks flying uh, everywhere. And I just remember being overwhelmed by the number of ducks that I was seeing and just so excited. Like, I, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was just excited to be seeing ducks. I wasn't even thinking about the hunt anymore at that point. Um, but yeah, it was it was a beautiful experience. I feel really, really lucky to have been able to experience that.
3: And so, as as your mentor on that hunt, there were a lot of thoughts rush, rushing through my mind as well. You and I had talked, and there were sort of pre-hunt discussions and things of that nature, and you, I, I wanted to get a feel for how many times you had shot before, and you told me that y'all had, had uh, had several opportunities to shoot and you had, you were comfortable with the gun and that was all at, as part of the, the program. And so, that was kind of helpful piece of information. But this would have been your first time pulling the trigger on a live animal. And you and I and the rest of the group even kind of talked about the night before about what you thought your emotions might be, if you thought you would have some... Uh, hesitation before pulling the trigger, and and of course, out there in that setting, there's a lot going on. I mean, even mm-hmm. for a, a seasoned hunter, that kind of morning where the sun's coming up, it's cloudy, species identification at legal shooting hours is nearly impossible. Uh, And given that we were seeing there was a lot of teal that were buzzing through the decoys, they're moving quick and jumping left and right. And like, even for a seasoned hunter, that's a situation where you're like, those are those that takes a high level of of skill to execute those shots, you know, uh, cleanly. And but yet here I am as sort of the, the the mentor on this hunt and I'm wanting you to have opportunities to shoot, but I'm also thinking it has to be the right situation. We need to make it enjoyable and we're not going to be just shooting. So I think we just said, let's just stop. Let's just enjoy this. Let the birds fly around. We had several land in the decoys. I wanted to make sure that we were able to see the birds, get good shots on the birds, And then that's going to be easier when you don't have fifty or sixty zipping around in all different directions, right?
2: Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember you saying that, and I really appreciate the fact that that you did, and that we were able to just kind of sit there and and watch the birds. I remember hearing. I think it was either Brett's or Kevin's blind like starting to shoot, and we were still kind of just sitting there enjoying the birds. Um, And then I do remember you like once. You know, once it was time to to start shooting, uh, I, I think you could probably tell I was really hesitant to like actually shoot the gun for the first time. And you said something like, would you like me to break the silence? And I was like, <laughs> yes, please. Because <laughs> um, yeah. I did have those thoughts like before coming on the hunt, like what if I get there and I just don't feel like I can do it? Um, so that was, I did have like a lot of anxiety about that. So um, I appreciate that you you kind of broke the silence there. And then once you had shot the first duck and then I kind of got that all out of my system and I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this now.
3: Yeah, well, well that's, yeah, I, I definitely could... Could sense the anxiety even from the from the night before and and that morning and yeah that's it can be an intimidating kind of environment if you've never been there before especially when there's so many things happening so quickly and when there's other people other friends around um, that you already hear shooting but no it was to me and I think it's this is something that I, I think all mentors will will appreciate and will try to do. It's about creating a situation where the new hunter is as comfortable as possible, is content in the situation, and and the moment is, is right for them. And so, I was glad that we were able to do that. I knew, based on the amount of bird activity that we were seeing early in the morning, that it wasn't gonna be a problem if we waited, and that mm-hmm. we would pretty soon start to get a few birds come in in smaller groups, Uh, And and sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, Kevin, you've done this for a number of years. Anything to add in terms of how you approach mentorship in the blind and the things that you look for uh, and what you employ and have found that, that works well in these situations?
1: Well, a lot of it is is preparation and making sure that that the students are <clears throat> especially comfortable handling firearms. Um, that's where a lot of the the trepidation comes in, you know, even just which which side of the shotgun shell faces forward when you put it in the gun, sort of thing. Um, so some of it is preparation, but I think, you know, what I what I was reflecting on, and when when Patty was telling her story, is, um, unlike taking, you know, your your daughter or son hunting where they've probably grown up with you as, as a mother or father who's been a hunter for their whole lives. And so, they're sort of already part of that culture when they go on their first hunt. But our students in this program are decidedly non-hunters until they go on one of these hunts. And so, they experience this just really rich tapestry of emotions when they're out there that because it's it's all brand new to them you know if you take your your daughter son on a hunt like they've probably been in the blind with you before and so they kind of know what to expect but every experience every single piece of this is brand new for the students and just as you said watching their reactions to to things that that all hunters enjoy you know seeing birds in the morning hearing whistling of wings all of that like all of that is their first time and it's amazing
3: so Patty, after that first shot, where I, I forget what I, uh, I forget what I what I harvested first, but I went and retrieved it, came back, and then realized that it was the you know we probably needed to switch sides of the blinds. So we put you on the side where the birds tended to be coming from to kind of help help you get a, a better a earlier view of them, better shot. I think it probably. Probably took you a few times before you finally connected on a bird, right? What do you remember about your success? I'm sure you've retold this story a number of times. What do you remember about your success those first 20 or so shots?
2: I remember being really bad at first and not hitting any ducks. And then I remember specifically, I think you were trying to, you know, make me comfortable and, and letting me make the decision. I'm like, okay, you know, this is a good group like when you're ready if you're ready and I think at one point I told you I was just like no just tell me (laughs) tell me when to shoot the duck I can't make this split decision on my own right now um so after you kind of started telling me like all right this is a group go for this duck uh that kind of made it easier and yeah at first I think it's just like the nerves of of the fact that you're it's so it happens so fast you kind of just like stand up and and you know try and try and get on the bird and shoot it and i was i think for the first like i i don't remember how how long we were out there but the first like hour or two maybe even at least i i was not very good and then for some reason in like the last like 20 minutes <laughs> i think i just relaxed a lot or had a lot less anxiety about like, the shooting aspect and was more focused on, like, hitting the bird and getting a clean shot. And for some reason, my skill level, like, shot through the roof in the last 20 minutes. of (laughs) I think I shot, like, three ducks in 20 minutes. Yeah, (laughs) three ducks.
3: I think three ducks in three shots,
2: if I remember correctly. (laughs)
3: You know, I think there was—so the way I remember this progression of your shooting skill is that— I I think the first duck, there was one duck early in the, in the morning where I could see that you hit it. And then, then I finished it off. That's one of the things that as a mentor, I want to do is make sure we don't have crippled ducks flying off. And so, so I finished that bird off and then you shot and, and shot and shot some more. and, 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 but then you connected on a, I think it was a Uh, a hen ring neck, but it it wasn't, it wasn't dead on the water. So I had to go, go retrieve it. And so brought that one back and then I kind of get fuzzy here. Okay. So yeah, I think the one, the first one that you dropped cleanly by yourself was a hen shoveler. Cause that's actually the one that I have a video of. And when it hit the water and I think you had to finish it off. Well, whenever you hit it, you and I were both so excited. We were like, turned, <laughs> you were turned to me and was kind of high five. And then we realized it was still alive. And so you had to finish it off on the water. And that's, that's part of it, right? Of yeah. Having mm-hmm. to finish it off. You went and retrieved it kind of from shooting to harvesting, finishing it off and then retrieving it. And that was, that was pretty cool. It was, uh, a juvenile hen shoveler, uh, young of the year, had still had the notch tail feathers, and I think you even gave it a little thank you, birdie, as you walked <laughs> back, as you walked back. You know, kind of showing respect for that that bird. And then from there, I think your next shots were were the three. There's another one in there somewhere, but then the other three were the ones where you just you dropped them, dropped them cold. One was a one was a drake mallard. One was. Uh, maybe another shoveler and I forget what yeah, the other think one so. was, but, uh,
2: I think it was two shovelers, maybe.
3: I think that's right. Uh, there was a teal was in there as well, but yeah, it was a, it was a phenomenal shooting display at the end. The worst part <laughs> about it, Patty, is that the camera guy left before he went to another blind before you started connecting on the birds. And so uh, but that was that was a super treat for me. The other thing that was really special about that experience, about our, our time in the blind there is that I think we had a Drake Mallard come in and you pulled up and you shot at it. I don't know, you might have had a pellet in it. I'm not sure I'll give you a credit, give you credit for a pellet or two. But then <laughs> it, was, it was finished off and then I had to go retrieve it and it was I actually got kind of fortunate to find it and, and finish it off and that turned out to be a banded drake mallard.
2: Oh yeah, that and, was so exciting.
3: Yeah, and it it had been banded by Paul Dixon's brother across the river. I think I think it was in the spring. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was earlier this spring when it had been banded. Came in by itself uh and so then of course we we When we get back to camp, we take the band off, you call it in, you get the certificate. And so uh, so that was a pretty cool experience, too, that that doesn't happen very often, right?
2: yeah, that was that was really exciting, especially on my first time. i I, I imagine that that's kind of a rare occurrence for that to happen. So that made it extra special.
3: So when you've told the story to other people whether it be family or friends what have been some of the highlights the the most memorable or the things that have made you most exciting it's, i'm i'm sure they've asked you kind of what your emotions were as you've had time to reflect on it kind of what are the what are the high points for you
2: Yeah you know i've i've most of my friends and family are non-hunters so you know i've had some mixed reactions to to telling the story um I'm pretty sure my mom's reaction was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you killed those poor ducks." <laughs> Meanwhile, she's eating meat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think just honestly, the very beginning, like of being out there on the water and being there when the birds are waking up, and just getting that experience of being able to watch and appreciate like the wonder that is that our ducks, you know, um, and then. I think those last like 20 minutes when I really felt most comfortable and I wasn't so anxious and and worried about like everything that was going on and I was kind of just focused on getting a clean shot, uh, that was really, really rewarding for me. Um, And I would like to say I really appreciate how hard you tried to make me feel comfortable with the actual act of like taking the life. I was I mean, it's a it's an upsetting thing to do, and I had a lot of mixed emotions about it. Especially seeing the ducks out there. Uh, I know you had to go out and finish a couple of ducks for me, so I really appreciate you like trying to make me comfortable through through that whole experience because it is really hard to deal with. Like you're trying to focus on you know getting a clean shot and like doing everything right, but then there's also these like ducks next to you, and you haven't fully processed the fact that you just like killed those animals. So it's kind of a whirlwind of emotions so i i really appreciate you you being there and helping me through that
3: oh well you're certainly welcome it was my privilege to be part of that and it's the level of thought that you just laid out there that made that experience so so re- so memorable for me is that knowing that that you had never hunted before you were going into this with some anxiety and you were thinking about this from a very respectful very cerebral Position and and I that's really cool. It's also kind of really intimidating for you know to not knowing what's going through your mind, how you're going to react. But but you and I, I you and I got along well, and we had some kind of philosophical discussions there along the way, which added to the experience for me and. And, and so, yeah, it's it's different depending on who it is that you're taking, whether they're a younger person in they in the teens, or if they're a young adult, and then based on what the the background and experiences of those people are. And, you know in in your case, again, it's we were you were approaching it from a very thoughtful, perspective and acknowledging that you're taking a life. We talked about that. The The act of taking a life of an animal is a part of hunting, but you're doing it because you, that's going to become a source of protein, a source of food for you. So... I had a ball. I had a blast. It's so mentally rewarding for me, emotionally rewarding for me, so I appreciate you allowing me to be part of that. The other thing that I'll ask, kind of transitioning from that, is I know you've had an opportunity to eat some of the, the ducks that you harvested. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so uh, for Thanksgiving, um, we had a, a little friendsgiving for for all the grad students that that stayed um, in Baton Rouge, and my lab mate Garrett and his wife Alet uh, are also hunters, and so they offered to cook. Um, some of the ducks for us. They'd made this. I don't know exactly what the recipe was. They they prepared it, but it was like a mushroom stew type of thing. Uh, we cooked up uh, I think one of the mallards and the ringneck duck, and I think one of the shovelers. And I thought it was delicious. I know some of the people were like, Oh, you're gonna eat a ringneck duck. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, it yeah. tastes great. <laughs> like I think it's amazing. I thought all the ducks tasted delicious. Um, so that was really cool to be able to experience that. Like I made this meal happen by going out and harvesting these animals and everyone's here sitting around this meal and really enjoying it. So that was a really cool feeling uh, for me.
3: Yeah, it really is. And, and hey, there's nothing wrong with eating a ring duck. Some of the best ducks that I have <laughs> ever eaten were ringnecks. Obviously, it's going to depend a little bit on where they are and what they're eating at that particular place. But oh, ringnecks can be some of the absolute best eating that you can get out there. I see Kevin nodding his head. That tells me he's eaten a few ringneck ducks.
1: Yeah, hard to get the skin off, but they taste just fine.
3: <laughs> yeah. Patty, did you have an opportunity to try the different ducks and compare them? Did you were you curious about that?
2: Yeah, I think that the only thing that I noticed, I mean, I don't have, you know, a very refined palate when it comes to eating ducks, so I don't know, uh, but I thought that the ringneck, I could taste a little bit of a difference in, in the, between like the ringneck and the mallard especially, but it wasn't anything extreme. If anything, I thought it tasted like a little bit gamier. I don't know if that's the right word, but I thought they were both equally delicious. Yeah, very cool. The other thing that, that I
3: know you and I talked about, you shared during the hunt and maybe afterwards is is your kind of greater appreciation or kind of firsthand observation of the care and the role that, that folks like Paul Dixon, waterfowl hunters, waterfowl hunters contribute to conservation in many ways. We've talked, I'm sure Kevin's talked to you all about this through license sales, duck stamps, contributions to nonprofit organizations, et cetera, et cetera. Then there are hunters that, that own or manage property to provide that high-quality habitat. And you actually, you certainly saw that at Paul Dixon's place. Did you, did you realize how, just how good it could be in some of those locations? Did your perspective on, on that, and they're not all like that, let's be clear. Um, yeah. But any kind of uh, additional perspective or reinforced perspective on the importance of that type of private land management as a, as a key tool in conservation?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, having done my undergrad at UF, like I said, they definitely have a big hunting community there. So it's something that I've kind of experienced like on the side. Uh, I've always appreciated, you know, uh, what hunters do for conservation. So I've, I've always had that, uh, in the back of my mind. Um, but it was cool to experience it firsthand and to see, um, yeah, like Paul Dixon's property was incredible. Um, and I really, really appreciate... You can tell that he just like puts his heart and soul into, into managing that property and especially the stuff that they do uh, with the aviary. So you can tell that he's just all about the ducks. And so it was, it was really cool to to meet him and and see all the love and care that he puts into that. And then also just kind of extend that to the wider community um, hunting community. And I know that there are hundreds of people, probably more across the United States, um, that are, are putting their heart and soul into conserving these wetlands as well. Um, so even from an outside perspective, just as being a birder, uh, I can really appreciate what they're doing. And I know that I'm reaping the benefits of of all the hard work that they're putting into it and all the money that the hunters are are putting into wetland conservation every time that I go out and I and I go look at some ducks with my binoculars.
3: Patty, the final question for you is are you making plans to go on additional hunts? <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I would love to go on another hunt. Right now, I'm actually prepping to go into the field. Um, so I'll be leaving in January oh. and I'll be gone for all of January and February. But when I come back, I will most definitely be bothering Kevin and Brett <laughs> to take me out again.
3: Or if there's anybody in South Louisiana listening to this podcast episode that wants to take <laughs> Patty, Patty and any of her friend out, uh, friend out hunting, let us know. Please. We'll see what we can do. Patty, it was it was an absolute treat for me to be able to join you in the blind there and 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 be part of your experience. I appreciate that and and thanks for joining us here on this episode.
2: Of course, thank you so much, um, not only for the duck hunting experience but for having me on this podcast. It was really a life changing thing that I did, so I'm glad.
3: I love to hear that, Kevin. Final thoughts from you? Kind of, you've done this for a number of years. Like, what do you find? What's the most rewarding part? Obviously listening to the story of Patty is going to be up there in the, and and other students. I also want to make clear, there were other students involved in the hunt there at, at, uh, at at Panola. Uh, They have their own fascinating, rewarding experiences that are featured in the, in the video. Uh, But just kind of overall, what's the, what's the most rewarding and fun part of this entire thing? I mean, I think you just heard it, Mike. It's it's generating
1: thirty stories just like Patty's every year, and they're all unique, right? Everyone comes at it from a different background, from a different perspective, um, uh, and and it's just when they when a you know a student pulls the trigger and and reduces that public trust resource to private possession, and they sort of participate you know in the food chain in a really visceral way, like it, it's transformational for them, for a lot of them. Um, And so, and you can see it. Like if you watch this Dio episode and I bring this gorgeous Drake Mallard back to Emma, who is in my blind, um, that was her first duck. I mean, she is a different person before that bird was shot. And after that bird is shot. And so, you know, that's the most rewarding part for me by far. I mean, it's 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 not like I'm getting paid more to take these students on these hunts, right? This is <laughs> this is extra extra on on our part to to provide these opportunities and, and give up our weekends and things like that. So it's it's experiences. Like that, that make it truly worthwhile, you know. weren't You know, Patty said she wants to hunt again, um, and I would say most of our students do. I'd say they probably fall into into the three categories you would expect. You know, there's maybe five or ten percent who are like, I really didn't care for that. I don't think I'm going to do it again, which is fine. Um, and then there's sort of. Uh, probably 40%, 30% who appreciate the experience, you know, enjoy the morning, but really like their career path is going somewhere else. Um, and they're just not, they don't have, it it didn't spark anything in them strong enough to like really get after it and pursue it. But then I would say half or more are really excited to that. This is going to be their new thing. So, Uh, I think we had four of the eight students on the trip, like want to get their first bird mounted, which is, which is, you know, a little bit crazy because these are broke undergrads and they're going to pay, you know, three or 400 bucks to have this bird mounted. Um, uh, because their first trophy bird was, you know, a juvie hand shoveler and that's going to be what they remember. I mean, you know, I don't know if you remember your first duck, but I certainly do. Right. Um, a green-winged teal on Fossil Creek in Colorado with my mom and dad. So, um, it, it really changes them. And, you know, one of the the most common conversation topics in the vans on the way home from these hunts is students wanting to know what what an entry-level shotgun costs. That's what they want to know because they're on their phones, <laughs> like, looking up what sort of guns they can afford, you know, and so they're, they're you know, add Mossberg 500A or whatever it is. So, they're Christmas list. um, Because I point out that they're probably going to be shooting not quite as nice firearms as as we have for these student hunts. So
3: yeah, that's, that's true. That's the other thing that we've discussed on a previous episode. There's a lot more that goes into taking a person from first hunt to independent hunter. And, and, and there's a, there's a role for mentorship in that area as well. And so uh, Kevin and, and Brett and, and all your, your friends and colleagues there are, uh, have the potential to play important roles in that as well. So um, this was a really neat thing for me to be part of. Kevin, if you ever need need help again, and if I'm around, <laughs> let me know. I'm happy to do it. Um, I do know that we. I need to give you an opportunity to acknowledge the, all the partners that, that helped make this happen. So why don't you go ahead and do that? You, do, you certainly don't do it alone. It takes a lot of people to pull this off.
1: Yeah, certainly. So, you know, we've been fortunate to have the support of the LSU administration um, on this because, you know, we run it we run it through LSU. And so we use, you know, their vans and things like that. Um, and, you know, they, they're supportive and they even publicize it. So it's a feather in their cap. And so, you know, I got to thank the people who employ me first and foremost um, you know we've had longtime support from from nomad outdoors. Uh, they provide some camouflage for the students. I mean, think about just the, financial logistics of trying to equip 30 students with camouflage because they don't have it. Um, And so they've been a big supporter, you know, for over the years um, in facilitating a lot of that. Um, Jay Pinsky at the hunting wire sort of facilitated a new connection with Benelli this season. And so Benelli has donated a bunch of, maybe not donated, loaned us uh, a bunch of top of the line firearms for our hunts. Um, And so, you know, if you want to make, you know, clean kills and have a good experience, like having, Top quality gear makes it a lot easier. Uh, and then, you know, Delta Waterfowl has historically provided us uh, with, with some of the ammunition that that we use. As you saw, Mike, um, we can go through some boxes of shells with first-time hunters. <laughs> so, um, certainly a non-trivial expense. You know, for a long time, you know, me and Brett were just paying for it sort of out-of-pocket from the, the little bit of slush money that we get from our grants and things like that, but um, having that support is, is really useful. Um, and you know, it's just and and Du, you know, was out there with the film crew and, and donated some jackets for the kids, which was which was great. So this is a you know, a great opportunity for for private individuals to get involved in sponsoring some of these hunts, you know, becoming participatory in the training of the next generation of waterfowl scientists. I mean, if you're concerned about the future of, of wetlands and waterfowl management, I mean, this is a great way to get involved is to is to, to offer one of these student hunts, right? Um, and similarly, for, for corporate sponsors and things like that, I mean, you know, having a bunch of hyper-enthusiastic college students wearing your gear, whatever, doesn't look bad. Um, so you know we're we're always looking for 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 additional partners and things like that, but we're certainly appreciative of, of the support that we've received so far.
3: Kevin, Patty, thank you all so much for joining us here today again thank you for the opportunity to be part of that special experience it was great to connect with y'all thanks for joining us and hope y'all have a great rest of the day
2: thank you so much
3: thanks so much mike great to talk to you a special thanks to our guest on today's episode dr kevin Ringelman and patty rodriguez both from lsu we appreciate their time here on this episode a super exciting story to tell as always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the great work he does on these episodes and getting them out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time and for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit wwwducksorg dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport.